I want to fail on the small one because who is my investor on my first deal? You know, your family, your friends, and they're going to be a lot more forgiving. If you fail on that big $10 million deal, a lot of those people don't know you that well, and they're not going to be that forgiving. And it'll probably be the last deal you ever do. So the point is that problems, issues, learning, everything is exponentially different. So if you only need one investor to get that first deal closed, that big deal, that 100 units or 150 units, you're going to need exponentially more people and you're going to need exponentially more capital. And the biggest cause of failure in this business is lack of capital. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Jim Biggs. And today we're walking through his life story, starting in an orphanage and then in foster homes, all the way through becoming a successful entrepreneur and then real estate investor. Done numerous real estate deals. He's had a couple of retirements. He's done a lot of things in life. He's been a successful entrepreneur. And today we're going through a lot of the lessons that he learned along the way that allowed him to escape some of those circumstances, continues to build wealth, and then now start one of his current ventures, the GOB Network, where he's helping people build financial literacy and financial independence using real estate as a nonprofit. Not a lot of people are doing that as a nonprofit. Frankly, I don't think anybody else is doing this as a nonprofit. So I really applaud that he's out there providing this service for others just like you to build financial literacy and financial independence through real estate again as a nonprofit. It's really incredible. So it's great to have him on the show. Great conversation and so many lessons from his life growing as a person, as an investor, as an entrepreneur, and so much more. Building a lot of lessons. So I really appreciate Jim coming on the show today and you're going to enjoy it. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I will look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, do look us up and hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them. Once again, our guest today is Jim Biggs from the GOB Network, and we're learning so many lessons today about life, business, entrepreneurship, real estate, and more. Without any further ado, here we go. Jim, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, Taylor. It's a pleasure. I'm really excited to talk with you and learn more about your story and then also what you're helping folks with now these days. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do and and where you come from? Because you have a very powerful, especially origin story, got you into business. So today I have founded and run a nonprofit called the GOB Network, which is an educational platform aimed at teaching financial literacy, generational wealth, and passive income. And we also have another company that we uh, own and operate, which is Jeroma Capital, where we uh, work on primarily multifamily deals. But this year we're uh, diversifying into 
ground up construction and RV parks and a lot of other asset classes that we have not been investing in over the years. Nice. Awesome. I love RV parks in particular and places where people store stuff. I'm a big fan of those types of deals. So, you know, let's dive into, I really want to get started with your, your origin story growing up really quick, just to step, set the stage because again, very, very powerful information, you know, what you, where you come from and, you know, what you overcame and all your mindset and everything. Yeah. Well, um, you know, there's a lot of people that grew up like I did and, uh, in similar circumstances, you know, nothing particularly special, but it is something that does make an imprint on your life that uh, you never escape. My mother was 13 years old. When she had me, I don't know who my father was. I thought I did based on my birth certificate, learned later in life that that wasn't my father. Um, and because my mother was so young and we, we lived in the country, I was actually born and raised in a little place in Tennessee, way back in the sticks, even 64 years later, it's still in the sticks called Biggs Holler. And I got passed around from family member to family member to family member until I was uh, roughly eight years old. Um, and I had three uh, brothers and sisters, uh, aside from myself, I was the oldest. And we were at that point put into an orphanage that was run by a local church. And then for um, you know the rest of my adult life for the next 10 years till I was 18, I lived either in the orphanage or in a foster home. You kind of age out of the orphanage at about 12, 13 years old, because they're, you know, as, as you're getting older and there's more orphans coming in, they kind of want to, you know, stick to the kids that they can help the most. And in orphanages, the kids that get helped the most are the youngest because people want to adopt them. All of my siblings got adopted. I never did and kind of aged out and started going from one foster home to another foster home. Didn't last very well in most of those foster homes. Admittedly, I was a handful. I was uh, a very angry young man for whatever reasons. I don't blame that necessarily on being an orphan, but uh, that obviously had something to do with it. But some of that is just personality and, and what you're born with. But thank God I have a wife that is the opposite of me, extremely good woman that uh, taught me to love uh, and taught me to hug and, you know, uh, what family meant. And so uh, very lucky to be where I am right now. But growing up, I really had no example of anything other than if you ever want to get by in this life, you have to work hard, put your nose to the grindstone and, you know, show up every day. And so that is a valuable, valuable lesson, no matter who you are and what you're doing in life, whether you are working, you know, um, an eight hour uh, job or whether you're an entrepreneur, you know, that uh, I'm not a huge believer in the four hour work week. Uh, I'm a big believer in the 24 hour day and getting as much out of it as you can. Uh, squeezing that lemon as hard as you can squeeze it for every drop. But having said that, I don't want to disparage Tim or anybody else practicing or <laughs> I'll work with, uh, if you can do it, if you can figure it out. And, and what I took away from reading the book a couple of times is try to create efficiencies, try to create as many shortcuts as you can in life. But I'm just one of those guys that, you know, even when I try to slow down, I'm most comfortable being busy. Nice. So you had exam. It sounds like you had examples, or you had folks to learn from early on that showed you the the value of hard work. If I'm interpreting that correctly, can you tell us about you know growing up, especially your your late teens and into your twenties, how you you know moved forward and and really I suppose I hate to, I hate to use the term made something of yourself, but you know ultimately put yourself it's, on a path to become successful. Yeah, 
and and that is a vernacular. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, you know, but most people, you know, have those kinds of thought of what success means to them. And it means something different to everyone. But for, I think, all of us, whether we're born poor or whether we're born rich, money is a, a report card, you know, of how successful we are many times. But, you know, my oldest son is a starving artist, barely gets by, happier than a pig in slop. You know, I'll clean that up for everyone. Uh, <laughs> Southern boy term. But, you know, he doesn't need money to be happy. Me, on the other hand, I use it as a measure, uh, a major milestone for where I am in my life. But, you know, I wasn't headed down that path for sure. And luckily for me, I met some people in my early and late teens that really changed the direction of my life because I I didn't know. I I mean, I was so naive. I didn't even realize there were grade beyond 12. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't really know what it meant to go to college. Never met anyone who had gone to college. And uh, never met or knew anyone closely that had run a business or was an entrepreneur. Just didn't understand that mindset at all. And I had a a coach when I entered junior high school and I moved um, into a a new family and a new school district, took my anger and redirected it into sports. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I loved football, absolutely loved it because I got to hit people legally (laughs) and hurt people legally. (laughs) <laughs> which I enjoyed doing, quite honestly, at that uh, point in my life. So, you know, I played sports uh, in high school, and that really helped me a lot. And then when I moved into high school, my freshman year in high school, about midway through, they changed the football coach. And the football coach that came in thought I was a senior because I was this size since the seventh grade. I haven't grown an inch since the wow. seventh grade. And uh, you look at my basketball pitchers in the ninth grade, you know how they do center down tallest to shortest i was in the center and then by the 10th grade i was on the end i was the shortest but that coach introduced me to um got me interested in reading some books one of the very first ones was the magic of thinking big and it allowed me to start thinking outside of myself that i didn't have to be the person uh, that i was born uh, or the circumstances that i was born into and he told me that i had the talent Uh, After he learned that I wasn't a senior and that I was going to be sticking around for a few more years, (laughs) that's when he really took an interest in me. And he said, you know, look, I can help you develop your talent and and you can go to college. And he explained what that meant and explained, you know, hey, we can get you a football scholarship. And so I I really, um, really kind of caught on fire uh, right about that time in my life. But I was still so young and so naive and made so many mistakes, you know, throughout my life. I tell people that um, my life has been two steps forward, one step back the entire way, you know, (laughs) starting from the beginning. In the beginning, it was always two steps back and one step forward. But right around high school, it started to change. But I still made some mistakes and wound up dropping out of school and not getting that college scholarship and uh, uh, wound up joining the Air Force to uh, join the military to kind of become a man, if you will. Uh, I made some mistakes. My foster parents at that time said, look, you've got to own your mistakes. You made your bed hard, you sleep in it, and uh, recommended that that's what I do. So that's what I did. Uh, Once I got in, I got drafted uh, into what we call lovingly the walking Air Force. Uh, I became, uh, I was recruited to become a um, survival instructor, which today is known as SEER, and is kind of the um, special forces for the Air Force, if you will. Awesome. So, and a lot of a lot of folks say that the, the the service especially gives young men that are maybe a little 
wayward a lot of structure and and helps them you know build that uh, well again structure is, is the main word that comes to mind build that that discipline i suppose did that help set you on, on a particular path and you know get you moving forward you know the orphanage was run by a church uh that was a one of the first mega churches uh in the country madison church of christ in madison tennessee and um so i was if you were raised in the south religiously there's a lot of hellfire and brimstone. So, <laughs> uh, I was raised uh, in a strict environment. So, mm. discipline uh, and motivation are different things. Uh, I would say when I went in the military, from being raised uh, in that environment and my football coaches and learning to strive, you know, in the discipline, what it takes to, to what you have to sacrifice to get what you want. I think I already had those things, but the leadership structure. And, you know, the camaraderie piece, um, there was more there. There were some things I was tested in a way that I had never been tested before, especially when you go through, if you've ever, uh, if you've ever been through the SEER program and especially the escape and evasion portion of it, um, mentally, it'll take you to a place you've never been. But I thought that was my career. I was a big boy scout growing up. I had always loved the outdoors. I would disappear in the summertime into the woods and not come home until it was dark. And sometimes not come home at all, you know, and my foster parents knew that, uh, it allowed me to do that. I, I love being outside. So I thought, you know, I, I had fallen into the greatest job on earth, but within a year I was injured, uh, pretty badly and went out on a, a medical disability. And so that career ended and I had to find a new one. Wow. So want to keep, you know, pushing forward and, and get into how you started that career and then ultimately, you know, broke into real estate, obviously, as that's kind of what we're driving at here is, is how you're yeah. helping folks build financial literacy today. So let's keep pushing forward. You started that career and when did you start breaking into real estate investing? When, in our uh, pre-show, I uh, jokingly told you that uh, I want to be a real estate investor when I grow up. Yeah. And I've been <laughs> saying that for, for the last 40 years. So I've been trying to build a real estate career subconsciously. I knew I had a passion for it, but I did not pursue it full time. I was like most people. I had a W2 job for a little while when I left the service. Uh, I was in a uh, management and sales position. I uh, was very, very lucky that I progressed very rapidly in those fields, but I knew that I wanted to become a real estate investor. And at that time, I thought the best way to do that was get a professional designation. And uh, I did, uh, went to the NAR, got that designation, realized that wasn't what I thought it was, that really that trained you to be a salesperson, which I already was, um, and that it wasn't training you to become an investor. And so it, was, it had to start seeking education toward investing in other ways. And through the years, left the corporate world and became a business owner. In most of my adult life, I've owned a business. I've been an entrepreneur. I've owned several different types of businesses. Started out in a retail business, went into uh, more of a consulting type of business where I had a training company where I trained salespeople and then transitioned into owning franchises. And uh, I've owned a number of automobile franchises and new car dealerships and did that for most of my life, but never had the money to do it by myself, always had to have partners. And so I was bringing equity and capital to the deals, but I was also bringing uh, even more than that, a ton of sweat equity and always was that young, hardworking guy that would, you know, do all the heavy lifting, but never was able to get in a deal without money. Uh, that was one thing that 
doesn't happen outside of real estate. And uh, so um, every time one of those partnerships didn't w- quite work out, we'd go running back to real estate because we just felt, you know, every book we had read, every successful person we had spoke to was either in real estate full time, or if they made a lot of money, they were sheltering that money in real estate. They were using real estate as a way to massively reduce their taxes. They were using real estate as a hedge on inflation. They were using real estate to multiply their money. For every $10,000 they put in, you know, they can get 10 times that amount from the bank. So you could take, you know, $10,000 and leverage that into $100,000 and use that stable asset that people always have to have a place to live and they're going to pay that payment for you. So there's just so many reasons I kept going back that I just didn't know what they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you get to see, see all of that inspiration. Now let's talk about the particular deals that you've done and, and, and how you scaled your portfolio. We also may end up digging into, you know, your, your multiple retirements, but let's talk about particular, you know, real estate deals that you ultimately, you know, got, got to do it. The very first ones were like everyone else. You know, everyone teaches when you get in, um, you know, fix and flip or buy and hold. Mm-hmm. And it's almost always single family. Nothing and wrong so with I that. started out the same way that just about everyone else does. And everyone has this mindset that, you know, they either, they probably don't know who owns these apartment buildings, don't know how to own them, and can't see themselves owning them for, you know, for a variety of reasons. It's just too big. You know, it's outside your scope of, thinking. So we started in the same place everyone else does, but we did learn a little bit about commercial real estate very early on because we had to buy, we, we never opened a new franchise from the ground up. We always bought existing franchise. So we were buying the land and the buildings, you know, the commercial buildings on the property. And, you know, after owning several of those and going through several different partnerships, the one thing that almost always happened is that the building in the land was worth as much or more than the business was. And, you know, I'm slow, you know, just a, just, you know, poor old country boy, but sooner or later I started to realize there's something going on here, you know? And, uh, so we did eventually graduate into multifamily, started buying five and tens and twenties. And we were doing, it was still a side hustle and we realized we just couldn't scale as fast as we wanted to. We met Gene Trowbridge at a, at a conference, um, read his book and immediately decided that's what we have to do. Started moving into much bigger deals. At this point in my life, unfortunately, I was already an elder, uh, so to speak, as in age. If I had learned this, if I had learned about being a passive investor in LP in my twenties, instead of, you know, all the other things that I did do, I would have retired only once. And I would have retired probably in, in my forties or fifties and, you know, had all the time in the world to do whatever I wanted to do, but I am having the time of my life, even, you know, even though I'm working as hard as I've ever worked at 64 and working as many hours as I've ever worked. Nice. So Gene Trowbridge, a prominent syndication attorney, wrote one of the earliest really books on real estate syndication and and he's been on the show in the past he's a a great guy great to talk to very uh, a wealth of knowledge in this business so you mentioned about you know passively investing i'd love to dig into your role in these deals like how how you're involved whether you have like any kind of gp involvement or or kp involvement or anything like that how do you uh how do you involve yourself in these deals 
Well, because I did come to the game a little bit later, I, I started out as an LP because, you know, you, you have to work your way up through these positions and have an understanding of them. At least I needed to, you know, I'm not the type of person, even though I, I will jump out of the airplane and build a parachute on the way down. <laughs> I, I at least want to talk about it before I jump out and want to know what the steps are. You know, I don't want to jump out and not even know what a parachute is. So I started as an LP or limited partner in deals, but almost immediately I transitioned into being a KP, uh, which if you don't uh, know what that is, it's a key principle. It's someone who brings usually a balance sheet to a deal, meaning their net worth or liquidity or SREO, or sometimes, you know, all three, uh, it can be any of those SREOs, a schedule of real estate owned, which, uh, most of these large, uh, deals require that you have an experience of history behind you or they won't own you money. Uh, liquidity, how much liquid cash do you have in the bank in either a whole life insurance policy, stocks, bonds, or a savings account? Your 401k doesn't count. Your home doesn't count. Any other investment properties and, and things like that will count towards your net worth, but not towards your liquidity. And um, uh, you had asked me how I was involved, started out LP, then KP, and then GP. And, and technically, as a KP, you are on the GP team, the general partnership, but most general partnerships treat their KPs and their capital raisers almost like a redheaded stepchild. Put them in the corner and, you know, don't want them. They, they just, they don't give them a seat at the table the way they should. And uh, I always, I, I never liked that, never felt good about it and is one of the tenants of what we're doing in the GOB network and, and why we started it. Uh, we want to have a very transparent, we teach people, if you want to become an LP or a GP, a KP, whatever you want to become, uh, how to do it in an ethical manner, how to be very transparent about it and how to do it in such a way that people want to do business with you. You know, they want to invest with you or they want uh, to partner with you. Nice, nice. So I'd like to dig into the GOB network before we go on to the three questions I ask every guest on the show. Just maybe the most common uh, couple of things that are misconception misconceptions that you find uh, folks have when you're you know helping them build this the financial knowledge you know in, in your experience. What do you run into uh, most often? Um, there's a lot of people, a lot of people in the educational space, uh, in the syndication space, teaching. Almost all of them are teaching from the same playbook. Uh, what I have found is that 80% of what every one of us are teaching is the same stuff. Uh, there is 20% difference in each program, probably, uh, the little stuff, the minor stuff. And most of this you can get, it's free knowledge, mm -hmm. but it's not in one place, or at least it hadn't been uh, until the GOB network. And, and we don't have all of it in one place, but that is one of our main goals. We have just a, a laundry list of big, audacious, hairy goals. And to the point that some of them have a 40 year uh, lifespan, we expect it might take 40 years to reach some of these goals. But having said that, I've been a member of, you know, I said, I went from entrepreneur, entrepreneurship, owning a dealership, go running back to real estate, have another opportunity to open another dealership and then go back to real estate. And I had this back and forth. And each time I went back, I always was looking to learn more from another person. And so I would hire a new coach, hire a new guru. And when I went through these things, I always felt like there was uh, something missing or something wrong, but I lived a life with 
blinders on. I only saw the next step in front of me. And even when things bother me, I have the mentality, you have to break through. You have to keep moving. And so I didn't allow those things to slow me down or even time to even dwell on them, to even figure out why they bothered me. But after my second retire or my first retirement, then my, yeah, after a major misstep, uh, after my first retirement, uh, I did take the time to, and, and I don't know why, but it might've been age. It might've been wisdom. It might've been meditation. I, I don't know what it was, but I, uh, was able to think on those things and think about what bothered me. And so we decided that the GOB network was going to address all of those things. And the biggest misconception about what we do, and I, I think, or let me say first, the biggest difference we're teaching from a very different playbook. I believe in contrarian investing. And right now everyone's teaching go big or go home, uh, which is one of my monikers, uh, hashtag follow me on Twitter. Go bigs or go home. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> um, but we are not teaching a hundred doors or more. We're not teaching that it takes just as much time and just as much effort. So why would you bother doing a 10 unit deal? And that anyone can do this. Anyone can do this. But what people are not teaching you is in the things they don't say that every deal you do, you're going to make a mistake. Every single deal, whether you've done one deal or a hundred deals. Mm -hmm. You're going to make the most mistakes on the first one. And those mistakes are going to be magnified. So if you completely fail, just, you know, a thought experiment, you completely fail. Do you want to fail on a small 10 unit deal where you may have had one or two investors, or do you want to fail on a $10 million deal where you may have had 50 investors? I want to fail on the small one because who is my investor on my first deal? You know, your family, your friends, and they're going to be a lot more forgiving. If you fail on that big $10 million deal, a lot of those people don't know you that well, and they're not going to be that forgiving. And it'll probably be the last deal you ever do. So the point is that problems, issues, learning, everything is exponentially different. So if you only need one investor to get that first deal closed, that big deal, that 100 units or 150 units, you're going to need exponentially more people and you're going to need exponentially more capital. And the biggest cause of failure in this business is lack of capital. And mm. so if you're going to get in that position, I want to put you in a position where you cannot fail or your chances of success are exponentially better. And so I'm teaching a very different model. So that's the biggest difference between the GOV and any other platform. The other biggest difference is we're a nonprofit. Uh, we're not trying to profit off the ed education. We're not charging 50 grand to be a member of our, uh, of our program. Financially, the cost is zero to get in. Now, I do say there's a cost. We only want to do business with go-givers and people that will actually participate in their education and participate in their success. And if those two things, if you can't live up to those standards, it's not the right place for you. And we don't want you here. But Otherwise, uh, you know, we welcome everyone with open arms and we're a very uh, active community and support each other in, in a better way. The biggest misconception is that we're one thing. Because we have 40-year goals, our biggest 40-year goal is we want to be a combination of everything in real estate. So what does that mean? Anything that you can conceive of, we want to be that. And we want to be the biggest at it. And we want to be the best at it. So we want to be a bigger and better, bigger pockets. We want to be a bigger and better uh, teacher, whether it's a 
you know, I, 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 I don't want to call names, but everyone knows the, you know, the 10 biggest names in, in the industry. <laughs> we want to be all, every one of those programs combined into one. We also want to have accreditation like a CCIM. We want you to be able to wear a pin after you're through with our educational platform that is nationally, if, or if not worldly recognized as a leader. We want to be accredited in at the college level so we can teach this and you can get com- college credit for it. Uh, we want for colleges that don't have a real estate program to be able to use us virtually as a real estate program. And more importantly, to our mission and vision, we want to teach this in underserved communities. We want to teach people, you know, I, you and I had talked about this country was built on the backs of entrepreneurs, but we don't teach it anymore. You know, we don't teach financial literacy in grade school or high school. We don't teach how to build generational wealth or passive income. And we want to turn that around and start bringing that back to, uh, the, to the underserved communities that this country was founded with. Nice. Nice. I love that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Jim, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Got them. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Well, of course, the best investment I ever made was in a good woman that supports me. And uh, I think that's very important if you're married to get your wife on board. My wife uh, really has no interest in real estate, even though her office is just behind this wall from mine. Uh, She's always poking her head out saying, what did you say and who are you talking to? So she's interested, (laughs) but she doesn't want all the details every day. But uh, the second biggest investment I've ever made in my life is the GOB network. When I started this, I had no idea what it was going to do or what it would mean. And it really has turned out to be uh, a passion project for me. It's turned out to be that one thing in life I've always been looking for. Everyone wants to leave a mark on life when they're gone and be remembered for something. Well, this is what I want to be remembered for. Nice, nice. Well, we had the best investment or best investments Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Well, if you want to hear it in great detail, uh, I spent about an hour and a half talking to one of the GLB members, Dion Huey, on his podcast, and we called it Failing Forward. But uh, the biggest mistake I ever made was a deal that we had out in Phoenix uh, right at the onset of COVID. And if everyone remembers, we had a period that literally overnight, the stock market crashed by 50%. Unemployment went to 30% within a couple of days. And our deal was caught up in that moment. And we wound up losing a tremendous amount of money uh, in walking away from that deal. And that caused our second retirement. Man, yeah. Well, I definitely think folks should go listen to the full details because you and I did discuss that prior to recording. There's definitely a lot more to it than we can cover in this show but very unfortunate circumstance, but you were able to move forward. My favorite question here at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? 
I have a favorite acronym. Don't know where it came from. Don't know if I invented it or someone else. I have no idea. My wife is of Mexican heritage. Uh, and there's a company uh, when you go grocery shopping and the company is Goya and oh, they sure. sell beans and, you know, all kinds of other things. So, uh, you know, hot peppered pickles, everything. But to me, when I see words like that, I don't know why my brain automatically wants to turn it into an acronym for something. And so I, I and, and I'm sure I didn't invent it. So Goya to me means get off your arse, if I were to say it in a British accent. And what that means to me is actions speak louder than words. I don't care what you say, show me what it is you want me to, to hear. Nice. Nice. I don't and talk about it. I don't talk about this on the show that often, but I'm a vegetarian. I eat a lot of Goya's products and they do actually have the best canned beans or their garbanzo beans in particular are large and, and succulent. I love that you turned that into such an inspirational acronym. And I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing all of these lessons and also for building the GOB network. You're absolutely right. There are a lot of coaching programs out there that not to disparage them, but are $50,000 or more to get involved with. And that's a lot of money, even for somebody that's dedicated and might not have that to, to spend on a program. Absolutely. So I appreciate that you're, you're putting that out there. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more, if they want to find the GOB network or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, as one of my good friends, Brian Briscoe, likes to say it's time for the shameless uh, self-promotion. Uh, you can find out more about us, me, and the greater GOB network at gobnetwork.com. And uh, the other plug is that we are having our second annual GOB Network Conference in Chicagoland, July 13th and 14th, followed by, we're going to call it a mini networking vacation in Chicago. Uh, welcome to bring your spouse and or children. And we're going to spend uh, Wednesday and Thursday conferencing, uh, unlike any conference you've ever attended, I guarantee you. And then the rest of the weekend to get to know Chicago and get to know each other a little better and see some sites and have a mini vacation. So awesome. you also, also can find out about that on GOBnetwork.com. Awesome. Great. Well, once again, thank you for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see your feedback. I get to see your comments and I get to see that you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye bye.